<clears throat> Hello, good morning. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> okay, our scripture today is Daniel 1, 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? You would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you say. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that when we work to be faithful to you, you are abundantly faithful to us. Thank you for the example that we see in Daniel's life. And we ask that you would bless Grant, give him your words for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a story. And we do need to start by just telling that story. It's a story that's familiar to us. I mean, I assume you've 
You've uh, read the book of Daniel before, and yet it's a story that has that, that challenges us in some ways. Is this a, what parts of this are normative? What parts of the story that Judy just read are things that will always happen to us or that we should always think about? This is how we should live. And what parts were particular to Daniel? And, and we need to think about those things as we go, but really it just starts with a good story. This is narrative. It's a, it's a story and it should be told like a story. So let's set in. You remember where we've been the last couple of weeks. You'll remember that in the year 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, actually he was the, the general of Babylon. His dad was the king when, when the siege started. But in 605, he laid siege to Jerusalem and took some of the best and brightest, those that were of noble birth, those that were without blemish, those that uh, were already smart and knew how to act in a kingly uh, uh, court. And he brought these best and brightest to Babylon and were introduced to four of these exiles. The four of these exiles that are going to be the majority of the stories of the first half of the book are going to be about Daniel and the men that would come to be named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, along with these four, there were many others taken um, to Babylon and enrolled in the program uh, that Nebuchadnezzar set before him. And that program was to systematically make them Babylonian, to not completely eliminate their Jewish roots, because after all, that's why they were so valuable to Nebuchadnezzar, because they could speak the Jewish language and look, they looked Jewish. And, and if you're trying to control the Jewish people, having some people that look like them and speak in their accents, a good way to start. So, so not completely erase where they came from, but to make them more comfortable, self-identify, find their roots in the Babylonian court. Last week, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's re-education program. We talked about how really Nebuchadnezzar was the power, but Nebuchadnezzar is also a symptom as much as he was a problem. The Judah wasn't just entering exile because Nebuchadnezzar was bigger and stronger. No, rather, the testimony of the scriptures is that Judah is entering exile because they had been, not just for a minute, but for centuries, been unfaithful to God, to Yahweh. And when you think, oh, God sounds kind of moody and sounds like he didn't get his way, so he sent his people into exile. And then you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked and said, what did this idolatry look like? Well, it looked like child sacrifice. It looked pretty bloody. It looked like stuff that you and I, just as normal human beings, would look and go, that needs to stop. And really, all this meant was that Judah, Israel, had begun living exactly like all the nations around, that there was no distinction in practice between the people of God and the rest of the world. And, you know, on one hand, you go, wow, these are like ancient political battles. What does that have to do with us? And yet, when you say the people of God had fallen into living just like the rest of the world, you go, yeah. I see how that could mean something for us today too. Last week we looked at, at heeding the warning that Paul gave in Ephesians 6 about the thing that we spent all VBS uh, teaching to our kids this week, that our battle is not just against Nebuchadnezzar. Our battle is never just against 
flesh and blood, but rather against the powers and principalities and forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so today we're going to look and, and start to answer the question, okay, if the battle that Daniel is in is primarily spiritual, well, there are a lot of physical parts to it, though. He actually is physically removed from his homeland. He is in Babylon. He is learning the, the Chaldean literature and the language and all this stuff. So at what point does Daniel have to... Is rebel the word? At what point does Daniel have to say, no, I'm going to look different than this program that Nebuchadnezzar would like me to participate in? And you know, the thing that strikes me about Daniel's decision or these, these four exiles that we hear about so much in the book of Daniel, their decision is just so nuanced and, and, and so um, not legalistic. Rather, it's so much like decisions that you and I have to make all the time. Okay, this is the real world. Here I am. At what point do I say no? At what point do I say, for the sake of getting along, for the sake of even evangelism, I'm going to participate. I'm going to not be, not be a monastic and like go out into the desert and be just me and my Bible, but rather have a robust life in the community so I can bless it. And at what point do I go, no. I've gone here and I can go no further. I have to say no to this. And in the story today, Daniel is greatly, it's a wonderful story if we stop where we just stopped because it's like Daniel did the right thing and it was great. He was 10 times smarter than everybody else and it all worked out. What a beautiful passage. He was fatter than everybody else and that was a good thing. Just such a, such beautiful, such beautiful language. Um, no, but, but he's healthier than everybody else and it all worked out. But this same line of reason is going to end him up in a lion's den. And sometimes it does. And sometimes we see God's provision, which is the point of the book of Daniel, that God is the provider in Judah. Guess what? God is still the provider in Babylon. God is the provider here in Seaside. And yet, that doesn't mean that our path won't be um, include some valleys. And we will have to sing, If I remain in the valley today, bless the Lord, for he has given himself. So last week we looked at kind of these six, and this is the arbitrary number, it was just my study, it's not these are the only strategies that evil would use, but we looked at the strategies that seek to, to, to discourage us, um, that seek to, to assimilate us into modern culture. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no like, you know, reactionary thinker, and yet we have to say it is always Satan's plan for us to identify with something other than the kingdom of God. Remember, Satan does not need you to follow him. Satan needs you to follow anything but God. Just anything but Jesus. Identify as a baseball guy. Identify as like a family man. Identify as an American. Identify as whatever, anything except who your identity really is, and that is a child of God. So, what are the strategies that Satan uses to discourage, to knock us off our block, to, to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the chaos around us? We, last week we talked about destruction and dominance. Sometimes it just looks like the bad guys are winning and the world's falling apart. But we also looked at culture, just the music's great around here. I mean, just fantastic. Have you, I mean, have you seen The Mandalorian? Just it's just art, right? It's just great. Use culture. Um, use comfort. Oh, it's just easier. Do you know how nice Babylon is? Babylon is great. Like, 
Like Jerusalem has been attacked by tribe after tribe after tribe after country after country. It's a it's war-torn nation. Babylon's comfortable. They got plants in the desert. They figured out how to water stuff. It's, there's shade. There's nice clothes. Oh my gosh. It's comfortable if you just follow along with the culture. And then we looked at time. Just Sometimes it's just the, the malaise of life. Just get worn down by the grind of every day. And we looked at identity that, that really when it comes down to it, Nebuchadnezzar wants to change these guys' names. And I would say that one of the things we have to think about is that Nebuchadnezzar, as he will continue to talk about this as we go, but Nebuchadnezzar is very much setting himself up to be God. He's the one who's going to provide for them. He's the one who's going to protect them. If they will serve him, then their life will be better. And we have to admit that those are a lot of the same claims that Jesus makes. You die to yourself. You follow Jesus. You get your, you get your eyes off of taking care of yourself, and you get your eyes on seeking first the kingdom of God, and he will provide for you, and he will give you comfort, and he will give you peace. He will be your rock in, in the middle of the wilderness. He will be the place where you stand. He will be your God. He will be your protector and your provider. The world. You could, you could use a lot of names for it. It's our flesh nature, or it's the culture, or it's the world, or it's Satan. These are all different names for the same spiritual force. Are making very similar claims. If you will follow me, I will give you the good life. So really, it just kind of comes down to a choice that we all make. And actually, I would like for you to think afresh of the decision that we have as we make a decision to follow Jesus. Because Daniel made a really important decision that I'm going to talk about here in a minute. And each of us, along with just the mental ascent, along with just thinking that Jesus really did rise from the dead, along with just kind of calling ourselves Christians, along with going, yeah, I think the Bible's true, we have to make a personal choice, each one of us, that Daniel made. I'll talk about it in a minute. So today we get to see the response. That was the attack. Here's how evil seeks to discourage and destroy and woo and all of that stuff. And today we get to see what a faithful man looks like in the middle of an unfaithful culture. When the sorrow of destruction is near, have you felt the sorrow of destruction, your life kind of crumbling? What do we do when it seems like the bad guys are winning? When temptation of the culture are all around, when greed and self and power and bitterness and gossip and lust and worry and sin and immorality, and they just seem like so tempting. And they're everywhere and everybody's doing it. When comfort can so easily turn into apathy. When we begin to identify as the names that the culture gives us instead of being a child of God. So in today's passage, we see Daniel react to a very specific part of Nebuchadnezzar's re-education plan. He doesn't want to eat the meat or drink the wine that comes from the food from uh, Nebuchadnezzar's table. And if you want to know the truth, I've spent hours reading and considering and studying this this week. I'm not exactly sure why this is where Daniel decided to draw the line. 
The most obvious thing and what is suggested frequently is that it hasn't been prepared in a kosher way. This is the, the meat that is coming down isn't, you know, maybe it's even pork. Maybe it's, uh, you know, it hasn't been properly prepared. So it's something that, uh, that, that Daniel, as a, a good Jewish kid, should eat. And okay, there might be a piece of that. But, you know, the prophets elsewhere talk about you can't really eat kosher unless you're in Judah. Like, unless you're in Jerusalem or around, it's really not possible to, to eat in a kosher way. And not only that, the, the wine wouldn't have been a problem. Or maybe it, it was that the meat had been sacrificed to idols. Um, that's a suggestion, too. You remember there was a whole controversy about this in, in Corinth, that this food had certainly been sacrificed, given to idols. I love this. You know, you can always see what's silly about other people's culture. I bet Nebuchadnezzar could see what's silly about our culture as well. But here's how you, here's how you feed uh, a pagan god in Babylon. As you go in and you take all this elaborate food in, this brilliant meal. You set it uh, at the feet of the, the statue that the God is supposed to embody. And then you leave. And then when you come back, if the food's still there, it's yours. He's full. So now it's a pretty good, that's pretty good. Uh, don't try that with dad for Father's Day. The food will be gone. Um, at least in my house. Um, so, you know, maybe it's that this, this meat has been sacrificed to Marduk or, or to Naboo or one of these false gods. And maybe that's true, but the vegetables would have been too. The vegetables would have been part of that same meal. Or maybe it's just a moral stand. You know, Daniel doesn't want to live like a Babylonian. And maybe, you know, he just goes, no, I'm just not doing this. And you go, okay, but he certainly didn't seem to rebel when it was come time to learn the language and learn the literature, and, and at the end of this, he is going to rise to prominence in the Babylonian government. So if this was the stand he's taking, it was just this particular place. And I, you know, quite frankly, where I land on this is that I kind of trust Daniel. <laughs> Whatever his reason one is good with me. But I just love that there was a place, and you know what challenges me is, is there a place in your life where you go, no. I'm not living like the culture. Maybe it's fair trade rice. You go, look, I can't solve everything. I'm just not, I'm just not eating rice that was made by slaves. Or maybe it's, you know, it's like there's, there's some way that you shop. Some, some, I'm not buying textiles that weren't produced. I don't know what it is, but, but it's not that, that Daniel has found the one perfect. In fact, I think that the mystery in exactly why Daniel makes this stance is helpful for us because the thing is Daniel's conscience is active and at work and God is working in it. And Daniel comes to a point where he goes, I will not be like the culture. And there should be places in our lives where we just go, hey, I'm not telling you how to live, but I am telling me how I'm going to live and I'm not going to be like the culture in this way. If I look at my life and I go, I do things exactly like everybody else. If last week I was nodding and going, yep, oh, comfort is such a problem. Oh yeah, the culture, you know, that rap music or whatever it is, you know, and you go, oh yeah, there's all that stuff. But then I live exactly like all the stuff I'm just nodding and like condemning. Like wh where am I? Daniel came to a place as every follower of God should, where he said, I'm not going to let this culture tell me how to live. And that's a powerful place to be. My opinion is that it has something to do with worship, that Daniel is willing to be a capable Babylonian scholar, 
But the Babylonian gods will never receive his worship. There might be something about food being something that enters his body where all of the rest of the stuff was a little more external. But whatever it was, he comes to the point where he goes, I cannot faithfully be a worshiper of Yahweh and participate in this. And I would hope for me and you that there would be something in our lives that would be the starting point of that. And that as we mature in Christ, that area of our life grows to the point where we don't really fit in around here at all. So Daniel approaches Ashpenaz, who, you know, Judy read his title. We met him last week. His title is Chief of the Eunuchs. That's tough. Um, when we see the, the word eunuch, you got to think like the, I mean, it means the same thing that eunuch means, but, but you got to think like these are the secret service. These are the guys that are the closest um, to, the, to the king. And so Daniel approaches um, Ashpenaz, and, and it, we're told that Daniel, that God had given Daniel favor in front of this guy, that this guy liked Daniel. And that's great. It reminds us kind of of Joseph. Uh, the way Joseph was in Egypt, faithful to God and yet finding favor in the pagan government. We also think um, that this is a little like Esther in Assyria, that finding uh, favor with, uh, with the pagan king and being faithful to God at the same time. People of such good character that they were well-liked even in the pagan cultures. So Daniel asks Ashpenaz if he can forego the meat and wine. But Ashpenaz is afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. Look, a lot of the decisions you make in your life are going to come down to who you're afraid of. Daniel is liked by this guy. This guy is a Daniel fan. And yet when Daniel comes to him and says, hey, uh, it's against my religion or whatever he said, can I not eat the meat and not drink the wine? Ashpenaz says, look, I like you, Daniel, but I like my head right where it is on my shoulders. If I don't feed you what I'm supposed to feed you and you don't thrive, it's going to be my head that gets lopped off. So then Daniel approaches the guy under Ashpenaz, the steward, who is, if Ashpenaz is the general, maybe this guy's the sergeant, is the steward in charge of feeding them. And he proposes a trial period. So for 10 days, just give us the vegetables and water and don't make us eat the meat and the wine and see how we do. Many scholars um, make a point to go, hey, you know, actually, at a guy of the steward's level, this was not a mover and a shaker. This was not like a, a high-ranking dude in the government. Probably he thought, so I keep the meat and the wine? I bring it home to my family? I'll give you 10 days. That would be a very nice 10 days at my house. And at the end of 10 days, um, Daniel and his friends were healthy. Now, as we're trying to figure out what is prescriptive and what is just the story, I, would, I think it's appropriate to make it clear that this is not a prescribed diet. This is not, in fact, when a few years ago, like the Daniel diet was like a, a big thing and it was like, hey, this is how Daniel did it. That's not what's going on here at all. If you want to be a vegetarian, then eat vegetables and don't eat meat. But that is not what's happening here in Daniel 1. Rather, this is presented over and over as miraculous work. That it is God that sustains them. That it is God that trains them. We fast forward to the end of the three-year education program, and these four are absolutely thriving. Verses 19 and 20 say, None are found like them, 
ten times wiser than all the pagan wise men. And it all starts with, who does Daniel fear? Who does Ashpenaz fear? All right, so what do we make of this? What can we bring into, into our um, time? Well, first of all, I think we're going to have to understand that our behavior flows from who God is, not what the culture is doing. Our behavior flows from who God is, not what the culture is doing. And I'll say this happens a variety of ways. Some of us are like maybe uh, getting lured away by what's cool in the culture right now. But I'll also tell you, some of us are getting angry about the things that there are to get angry about in the culture. And you would have been angry about something completely different 10 years ago and completely different 100 years ago. And you'll be mad about something else um, 25 years from now. We don't let the culture... Tell us what's right and wrong. Our behavior flows from the character, the provision, the identity of God. We don't ask questions. Daniel didn't ask questions like, what can I do? You know, I loved being a youth pastor, and if uh, I didn't have so much gray in my beard, I'd do it again. All-nighters are hard. My knees hurt. Um, and I love question and answer day. And as a teacher over at Trinity Christian High School, I get, we do question and answer day an awful lot. And a big category of the questions is how much can I get away with? And teenagers ask those kind of questions because, well, there's a reason adults don't ask those kind of questions, because adults are not as honest. Um, <laughs> we ask questions. How, how, what can I get away with? Is God going to be mad if I do this? Is God going to be mad if I do this? Can I go this far and not further? How, what can I do? Or we ask, what's everybody else doing? Oh, if there's another Christian who's doing it, I guess it's okay. But rather, we don't say stuff like that. Instead, we let our behavior be guided by questions like, what ought I to do? The, uh, Victor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, this was one of the big ideas in that book, that what true ethics, true morality is, is not looking around and going, well, what seems right and wrong by the culture, but by saying, no, for all time, all space, according to the nature of God, what ought I to do? What if our decision-making was based on that? The problem with making decisions about our behavior based on what I can do is that I can I'm pretty smart. I can justify just about anything. Can, can you make a case for Daniel going ahead and eating the meat and drinking the wine? I can. Of course you can. I mean, better to be a, what is it? Better to be a live chicken than a dead hero? I, you could even make it sound really spiritual. Be like, well, look, I have a ministry to all these Chaldeans. And in order to, it's called friendship evangelism. Maybe you've heard of it. I have to participate in the culture fully so that I have, I'm building whatever it is. I can make that case. I've fallen victim to that kind of logic. Have you not fallen victim to that kind of logic? Or are you lying? I mean, God is gracious. So we eat the meat, we drink the wine. I can't be the only one standing out. Look at this. Babylon is huge. What, I'm going to just be the crazy guy in the square with a sign, don't eat the meat or drink the wine? Come on. Compromise has to happen somewhere, right? God will still love me. 
And the problem with making decisions based on what everybody else is doing is similar. Your only choices are what everybody else is doing. Like, do you ever see your choices that you're giving, given about a social situation and you think, none of these reflect the heart of God at all? You ever walk into a ballot box looking for love? I can't see it. Where is it? You ever look on Facebook? I deleted Facebook. It's happy. You should do that. Um, but you ever get on some social media platform and, and um, you go, okay, these seem to be the entrenched opinions and you look at both of them and go, these are not close to the heart of God. Neither one of these reflect who God is. So what it means to be the ecclesia, what it means to be the called out ones is to go, yeah, I'm going to reject this false choice and instead I'm going to reflect God's love to the world. I'm going to make the way I make decisions based on how can I best honor God. Faithfully following God and culture, cultural popularity don't go together very often. So it starts for Daniel with a decision. And the decision comes first. And, you know, I feel like this would be great uh, youth camp talk. Like, I hope I get to give. I have given, a, you know, taught Daniel 1 at youth camp before. And it's great because you say, you're young in your life and you got to make some decisions about how you're going to live. But look, maybe you're not young in your life and we still have to make some decisions about how we're going to live. Maybe we're not too old. Uh, to just kind of go, oh, yes, yes, yes. I chose to live a Christian life a long time ago. Maybe you chose to follow Jesus. But have you made a decision like the one Daniel made? Because Daniel's actions don't come first. Daniel's mind comes first. He decides something first. And it takes times of commitment. It takes times where we go, no, I'm deciding this. I'm going to tell somebody about it. It begins with a decision. We just have to decide. You know, anytime I'm doing any kind of marriage counseling or whatever, and I have a couple people either, you know, not married yet, which is the funnest thing ever to do is premarital counseling, or maybe some folks that are struggling, I always make the point, the most important thing to this marriage being successful is going to be your will. The most important thing for your life reflecting the love of God is going to be your will. Not just submitting your will to God, which is, of course, what we have to do, but to also make some decisions about what that's going to look like. That's even kind of what baptism is about. The idea of baptism is just stand up there in that tank and go, hey, I'm just in. I'm in. I'm with Jesus. Jesus is with me. That's the end. I've made my decision. I'm not going back. The importance of just will. And I'm not sure why this was the line that was drawn in Daniel's heart, but there comes a point when Daniel just decides he will not be defiled by this culture, and it has to start there. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. What if we made those kind of decisions? I will not defile myself. I will not do things that are not in line with the heart of God. You know, 
I've read in Acts about Peter's dream. It's not food anymore that we're looking at to defile ourselves. I wonder if even if you have a Bible in front of you, you'd turn over to Matthew 15 uh, very quickly and consider verses 10 to 20 with me as Jesus talks about a New Testament idea of what defiles people. So Matthew 15, starting in 10, And he, being Jesus, called the people to him and said, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. So these guys have even read Daniel. They know the Old Testament stories, and they're going, what it means to not defile yourself is just to eat all the right things, just to make all the right decisions, to keep all the law to, to, keep all the, law to the letter, the jot and tittle. We're going to do the whole thing. And Jesus goes, yeah, but you're a jerk. You've got nailed what's going in. The problem is the evidence of what's in here by what comes out. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what, by what they heard? And they're saying, look, here's the thing. Let's not laugh at the Pharisees. Sometimes what Jesus says offends us. And we need to decide if Jesus is right or if it's us. And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. So Peter's going, hey, the Pharisees were upset. And then Jesus goes, don't worry about the Pharisees. And Peter goes, for the sake of argument, pretend I don't understand. Explain it to me. And he said, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that? Whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. I will decide to not defile myself with evil thoughts. And murder and adultery and sexual immorality. I am deciding I will not defile myself with impurity. And theft and false witness. I will, I'm deciding to not defile myself by bearing false witness. I won't lie. I won't, I won't say stuff I shouldn't say. And then that last one, slander. I will not defile myself by posting trash talk about some other dude on social media. It starts with a decision where you go, I love God so much. I'm not trying to get in on a technicality. I'm not legalistic, legalistically trying to make my behavior so good that I get in. And I'm not going to try to argue my way into the kingdom of God. Rather, I'm going to stand here and go, God, in light of you, in light of the awe of you, the power of you, who you are, I'm not going to defile myself. We need to make a decision like that. Guys, if there is sin in your life, if compromise has crept in, if you aren't living the faithful life you know God desires for you, if there is gossip, if there is hate, if there is racism, if there is a lack of financial faithfulness, if there is sexual immorality has crept in, if pride has crept in, if greed has crept in, if something has crept in and has stopped you from forgiving, fully forgiving and loving someone, 
or, or, or giving in to worry. If worry has become more attractive than trust, make a decision. Just today, ignore everything else I have to say and just make a decision that you will not defile yourself by having a heart that is not pointed at God and God alone. After a decision, you got to be tenacious. Paul uses a, a word frequently that, that um, you know, doesn't sound that aggressive, and yet if you know what it means, you go, holy smoke, Paul, what are you talking about? And that word is walk. What is the walk of your life? How are you walking in the Lord? This has to do with every aspect of your life. Your walk is not what church are you a member of. Your walk is not did you go to church. And by the way, you came to church on Father's Day. Come on, way to go. I'm just so glad Father's Day is not in the middle of the football season. That would really kill us. Um, uh, that's not what your walk is. Your walk is every interaction, every motivation, Every decision, every financial decision, every decision to forgive, every decision to pour into yourself or give glory to God. And that will take your whole life. It starts with a decision, I will not defile myself. And then that is followed by a thousand tenacious decisions to walk that promise out in your life. We talked about this a minute ago, but Daniel had given, been given favor and compassion before the chief of eunuchs, and, uh, but it wasn't enough to persuade him to go along with Daniel's plan to abstain from meat and wine. Verse 10 does have a whole lot to say uh, about this. Uh, verse 10 says, I fear the Lord, my Lord, the King, who assigned your food of your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? Ashpenaz fears Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel fears Yahweh. It comes down to that. Who are you afraid of? You afraid of the future? Is the future your God? You afraid of your neighbor's opinion of you? Or do you go, who would I fear? I just want to make God happy. I just want to live for Him. You know, it's amazing. Daniel got told no the first time he tried to be faithful. Went to Ashpenaz. Hey, here's my plan. Ashpenaz said no. And I think on my worst days, I might have stopped there. Wouldn't you? Say something, well, I, I tried to be in God's will, but God didn't care enough to solve it. But Daniel moves on from Ashpenaz to the steward. How far would you go to remain faithful to God? How far would you go to not be defiled in your heart before him? This is a short story that seems to work out pretty good, but we see in the rest of the book that Daniel will go as far as a lion's den. This is the first time Daniel, we see Daniel taking a stand like this, but it won't be the last. This goes pretty smooth, but it won't always. We are called to make daily decisions to not defile ourselves. Isn't that the thing? Like to have an emotional decision. And not even, I don't say that in a pejorative way. It is not, like we're not anti-emotion when it comes to serving the Lord. Like in light of that kind of love, it should make you emotional. 
but to have a moment where you go, God is so good, I'm going to walk faithfully for you. That is a wonderful thing. And yet it must be followed by a daily walk. It could be that there was a point when you did make a decision. I will not defile myself with any of the things this culture is offering me. I am going to walk faithfully with the Lord. But compromise has, has crept in. Maybe today's the day to just refresh that commitment. And really it comes down to this, and maybe this should have been uh, earlier, but here's where it came in the scriptures. God wisdom, God's wisdom is, to, is superior to Babylonian wisdom. Here's the thing that you really have to just decide. Don't fake it. Pretend you're not in church. Pretend you're not sitting on really nice pews. Pretend you're just alone making this decision by yourself. You've got to decide, is it in your best interest to decide to follow Jesus with your whole life? One of the biggest lies of the enemy He's the father of lies. He's good at it. He's been here forever, doing, a lot, doing it a lot. He'll be here a while longer. But one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that our choices are a faithful, dull, boring life of following Jesus or a fun, exciting, and rich life of following our own heart. One of the big ideas in Daniel is that God's wisdom and provision are available and superior right here, right now. Remember where Daniel is. God is not limited geographically. Even here in Babylon. Even here with pagan statues and all the pagan worship and no, Yahweh's name is not on anybody's lips. Even here, God will give you the good life. He will be your protector and provider right here. God is not limited geographically. God is not limited culturally. This I love. Oh, I hear so much stuff about the like dwindling of the church in America or whatever. You think that God is like, oh no, the culture. No, the church is not faithful all the time. I would say that probably is an issue. But it's not like God is like, oh, this is the culture I can't work in. God's not limited, even by Babylonian culture. He can handle seaside. He can take care of you right here. God is not limited politically. I know I talk about this too much, but God is not on his throne going, I hope my guy wins. The throne is solid. He's on it. He can take care of you right here, right now, no matter what. God is not limited by idolatry. Guys, nothing has to happen for you to live a life of love and joy and peace. But you do have to decide if you think making a decision. I'm not going to defile myself. It's God. I'm, I'm following Jesus with everything I've got every day. I don't care what it costs. I'm just doing that. You have to decide if that's in your best interest. Remember I said like a half an hour ago, Nebuchadnezzar, and Yahweh are both saying, be faithful to me and this will be the good life for you. It's hard for me to put my exact hand on what exactly our culture is offering. Like how you, what's the mission statement of the culture? But I think it's something like follow your heart. To thine own self be true. I think is, 
I think is something like what we're being offered. And you just have to decide, submission to Christ or follow your heart, which is the good life. Make a decision today. If you've never made that decision before, come on, man, there's plenty of room at the family table and the family of God, we're welcome. We'd love to have you. God's wisdom is superior to Babylonian wisdom. The undefiled life is the good life. Peace and joy and love are available following Christ, not following our heart. We'll talk about this more next week because it's going to be, this is going to be the point of the story next week, the next two weeks actually, um, that, that the, the wisdom of, of all of the Babylonian enchanters and magicians and, and all of those folks is just woefully insufficient compared to God's. But let me just get us started very quickly. Um, uh, Tremper Longman uh, says, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom are not just different by scale, but by kind. It's not that God has a lot more worldly wisdom. It's a whole different thing. So who are you following? There is a mountain of worldly wisdom available for us, and it's, as, it's fine as far as it goes. But if you want the life that you want, love and joy and peace, is it going to be found in self and money and immorality? Or is it going to be found in faithful, sacrificial love? There's wisdom of the culture all around us. There's also wisdom from God that sounds totally different. Seek first the kingdom of God and He'll worry about all of the provision stuff. Service is better than being served. It's the poor who are most important in our culture. Peace and joy and security and even fun are found as we walk as close as we can to the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to make a decision regarding those two worldviews. Do you, like Daniel, say, look, I'm taking my stand. I will not let the tenets of this culture define me and defile me. Or do you go, I'll be a Christian and also kind of flirt with following my heart. I'll follow my heart. And most of the time, that'll include faithfulness to Jesus. Man, we're going to sing a song. And I would just encourage you to make a decision. And if it's a decision that is not hard for you because you made that decision before and you make that decision daily, then... It's a great joy to just go, yeah, I'd, you know, like if, if there was like an altar call right now, I'd come forward. You know what I mean? Like, oh, now I would never miss an opportunity to say, yeah, God, I'm for you, you and nothing else. So take that time. But if you've been following your own heart, and maybe now's the time that you would say, God, I believe that the good life is not found in following my own ambitions and desires. I think the good life is found in following you. And from this day forward, I will not defile myself with anything this culture has to offer. Let me pray, and then we'll sing a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us uh, encouragement from the Scriptures. 
Lord, I do. Uh, Lord, it's, it's convicting to me. Lord, there are so many ways that, um, that we each are being either tempted or discouraged. Lord, destruction is, is around and so is the Lord of comfort and culture and all of that stuff. And God, I pray um, that you would protect us from that. Lord, that we would be a room full of people who say, I will not defile myself. I'm not going to give in to, you know, gossip or hate or racism or greed or impurity, but rather I'm going to be faithful to Jesus every day. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.